I love a rowdy welcome, so thank you. <laughs> um, what a joy it is to have um, Rick and Cheryl with us and to hear about um, like their victories and the things God has done with them are our victories, aren't they? Because um, we're family. Um, so what a joy. Um, great. So we're um, um, heading actually to the end of our um, Matthew series that we've been looking at, um, just going through the book of Matthew, looking at the life of Jesus um, after a time of, um, as Cheryl was saying, church being hard. We just wanted to have a season of, of being with Jesus in the Bible and seeing what he's like and learning from him. And um, yeah, we're heading towards the end now. But I want to um, uh, start with a question that um, the Bible often asks us, and I think it's one of the questions that, um, that the Lord asks us through his word. Which table are you going to sit at? By this, I don't mean uh, where are you going to sit, like in a secondary school cafeteria, although that was, of course, another really important question. Um, what I mean is, who or what are you going to turn to for your satisfaction? We've heard about it actually a few times already this morning. One of the things we learn about mankind first in the Bible is that we are creatures who are made to eat food. Have you ever thought about the fact that hunger isn't a result of the fall? We are created to be hungry and to be filled. I believe God has built this into us physically to reflect and show us a deeper spiritual reality. Isaiah 52, 55-2, God is talking to his people and he says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The verses in Matthew that we're looking at today contain an invitation to do exactly that, to eat what is good, to take hold of life, which is truly life, because our passage today is about the Lord's Supper. I've been so excited to have the chance to talk about the gift of communion um, this morning. It's something that if you'll pardon the pun, the Lord has given me a hunger um, to see us grow in our treasuring of and our celebration of as a church family. Over the last few years, communion has become something I eagerly look forward to as a place where I will meet with God. And my prayer is that we would grow in our love for him and our unity with one another as we grow in our celebration of this mystery. In a second, I'm going to read the verses that we're looking at today, which are Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. Just a little prep there to get ready if you have your Bible with you. Um, but I'd like to start by zooming in on four words that set the scene for the passage, the, the start of the passage. And they are, as they were eating. As they were eating. Now, if you're new to church, if you're just kind of discovering, learning who Jesus is, then these four words are a pretty good introduction to how he went about his life. It's a bit of a theme of Jesus' ministry. It's one of the many reasons that I find him so attractive. <laughs> Where do we so often see Jesus teaching, ministering, resting with his disciples? As they were eating. It's one of the things that Jesus was actually accused of by religious leaders at the time. They said, oh, that guy, he's always eating and drinking 
with sinners. They were so furious about this because of the outrageous welcome and acceptance that these meals, these dinner parties of Jesus represented. Jesus so often used the context of meals to teach. But have you ever thought about how the meals themselves were his proclaimed message? That the meals himself, themselves, declared his message. Around the table, eating with sinners like you and me, Jesus was demonstrating the very reason that he came. He was declaring that the heart of God is to dwell with his people, to commune with us, or to use a picture that the Bible so often uses, to eat with us. If you were going to play a rosy phrase bingo, not the most <laughs> fun game, I imagine, but um, a key one recently, actually, to look out for seems to be like really out-of-date film references that no one remembers, so I'm sorry about that. But another one would be this, and um, I'm pretty sure I say this in every preach, and I'm not sorry about this one. The story of the Bible is a story of a God who longs to dwell with his people. This is why food is such a central theme in the Bible, because it speaks so clearly of what God intends life with his people to feel like. He intends it to feel like sitting down with him over a meal. The invitation of the Christian faith is an invitation to come and feast with God. Listen to how Jesus in Revelation 3 describes his invitation to us. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It should come as little surprise then that when God wants to give his people something to celebrate and commemorate the way he saved them from Egypt and brought them to himself, the ritual he gives them is a meal. It's called the Passover, where a lamb is sacrificed and eaten. Our passage today takes place at a Passover meal between Jesus and his disciples, much like the Jewish people had eaten and celebrated for thousands of years, or over a thousand years, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And in this passage, we're going to see Jesus draw to himself all the meaning of the Passover and retell the story with himself as the sacrificial lamb. Okay, let's have a look at the passage. So um, Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So picture the scene. Jesus and his disciples have prepared this room and the meal just as Jesus has instructed. Outside, the streets are heaving with thousands of other worshippers who have come to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Perhaps some would have seen the flickering candles of the disciples' upper room as they hurried to their own meals. 
Inside, a controversial rabbi from the sticks was revealing that thousands of years and countless thousands of Passover meals shared in rooms just like this one were all pointing to him. During the meal, Jesus would have gone through the usual blessings uh, said at every Passover. So that's probably why Matthew doesn't record them because that would be assumed. But then he begins to go a bit off script. He breaks some bread and he says, take, eat. Now it's no accident that what Jesus tells them to eat is bread because if you were playing preach bingo with Jesus, (laughs) bread would definitely be on the list. Bread, the life-sustaining daily meal, the food of rich and poor, one of the things Jesus in his teaching points to and says, look, this is what I'm like. I am the bread of life, he says. There's even actually a little hint to this um, in where Jesus is from. Do you know where, do you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. (laughs) So Jesus breaks the bread and maybe the disciples start passing it down the table. Then Jesus says something that makes them pause. Maybe their bread is poised midair over that little dish of oil. See, the first half of this sentence had been very normal instruction, mundane, perhaps. Nothing to see here. The second half, however, are four of the most shocking, most debated words ever said. This is my body. These words have been the source of discussion and wonder for Christians for millennia. Because Jesus doesn't simply invite the disciples here to eat with him, as amazing as that is. But he tells them that he himself is the meal. Now, before we get too gory (laughs) and you run me out of the church as a heretic. (laughs) No, he's not telling them to eat his literal flesh. But we can't ignore the mystery and the weight in these words. This is my body. Doesn't say this is like my body. It says this is my body. Whatever it means, surely it leaves no possibility of simply watching Christ from afar for the disciples or for us. The implication is that what it means to follow Jesus Christ is that we are joined to him and him to us. I think this is what Paul is getting at when he says in Corinthians about this meal The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Jesus' words to the disciples at the last supper, this is my body, this is my blood, are the promise and the invitation and the mystery of the Lord's Supper, also known as communion or the Eucharist, which we will take today. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus is going to set a meal at the heart of the church, of our life together, at which he is both the host and the meal. He invites us, as he has done throughout his word, to come and eat and drink with God. I love this description of the Lord's Supper from Andrew Wilson. He says, about talking about Jesus, obviously, He also, in what would turn out to be probably the most controversial thing he ever said, he identified the bread and wine as somehow being his body and blood. 
In giving it both this meaning and this regularity, Jesus ensured it would stand forever at the center of the church's worship as a tangible sign of his presence with his people, a means of participation with him, and a reenactment of redemption, a physical symbol of our deliverance from slavery through his death and resurrection. We are going to explore three things that we enter into when we take the Lord's Supper, three things that will be going on when we take communion together in a few minutes. We're going to look at the past, the present, and the future of Christ's redemption story, or in other words, we remember, we receive, and we await. So the first dimension then of the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's death, which is what he tells us to do in um, other gospels, do this in remembrance of me. Just as the Passover meal celebrated God's work of redemption at the Exodus, every time we take communion, we celebrate God's work of redemption through the cross. We eat the bread and we remember that Jesus's body was broken and given like that loaf at the feeding of the 5,000 that was enough to feed all who were hungry. Remember that he is true manna, bread sent from heaven by God to feed a people in a wilderness who would starve without it. We remember that Jesus didn't come as a hologram. He came as a real human being, made of flesh and bone, that he had a human body that was beaten, scourged and nailed, naked to a tree. We remember that Jesus, with a resurrection body, has ascended to the presence of God, where we too will soon follow with our own resurrection bodies. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus had said this. So he had preempted this moment, um, and people were pretty confused when he said this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. His body was broken, that we might be made whole. So after Jesus had taken, given the disciples the bread, we read that he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. On the cross, Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God so that we now drink freely from the cup of salvation at his table. He drank that cup dry so that we can say along with David that our cup overflows. On the cross, Jesus' side was pierced with the sword and outflowed blood. Jesus was drained of his life that we might be filled with his life. The sacrifice of the blood that flowed from his body has become the wine that flows into ours. Why does Jesus tell us to remember his blood in particular? We already have this picture of his body. I think it's because throughout God's story, the making of a covenant, which is God's joining of himself to us and us to him, has always depended on the sacrificial shedding of blood. And at the Last Supper, Jesus says, this covenant will be no different. 
Hebrews 9, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I love this verse in um, It's Well With My Soul. It says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Through focusing on Jesus' body broken and his blood poured out, the Lord's Supper causes us to look back at God's finished work of salvation. We remember, we hold to a moment in history where everything changed, a moment that our salvation was purchased, that God's work to redeem his people was finished. But communion isn't just about remembering. It's about receiving today. So we remember and we receive. In setting a table at the center of the church, Jesus was giving a picture that is at once so simple that a child could understand it, yet so profound that the greatest minds can find no better word than mystery. So before we get bogged down in the detail of asking what's actually happening when we eat the bread and the wine that we drink, let's not lose sight of the fact that the greatest mystery at communion is this. Our God has instructed us very clearly how we should come to him. He's laid out plain and simple. He told us what to do if we want to know him. If we want to obediently follow him, and this is it, come to the table and eat. How? Because the work was Christ's to endure and the feast is ours to enjoy. Are you looking for a home, a place to belong, are you looking for satisfaction? Are you looking for pleasure? Are you looking for rest? Welcome to the religion where the way that to find God is to discover that he came to find us. And the way in is to receive his undeserved favor. And the way on is to regularly celebrate that undeserved favor represented in a meal that he serves us himself. I mean, can you get over that? <laughs> How do we just carry on with our lives eating stale bread from the tables that the world offers us when we hear this? We can't. Come and feast. The door is open wide and there's a seat with your name on it. Do you see how communion is more than a remembering? It's a receiving in the here and now. In the words of Christopher Hall, the memorial of Christ's death is not simply a symbol drawing our memory back to what Christ suffered. Rather, it's a remembrance that makes Christ's sacrifice present to the church in time and space. Here's something that's really helped me uh, understand this. Taking the Lord's Supper uh, is a bit like celebrating a birthday. Um, I don't want to embarrass her too much, but Katie, where are you, Katie? Give me a wave. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's Katie's birthday today. Hey. Woo! <laughs> and um, as Katie celebrated 
with her friends last night. In a way, they were memorialising a day in history 24 years ago, right? Maybe 25? <laughs> that Katie was born. And of course, it's all because of that day that we're able to know Katie today. But that's, that would be quite an odd way of celebrating a birthday, right? If we just all thought about the day someone was born. It's so much more than that, right? They were celebrating that they know Katie now. They were celebrating and enjoying her presence with them in that moment. Generally, when we celebrate someone's birthday, we do it with the person. I think communion is, is like that. We remember but we enjoy the presence of the one we're remembering now. We celebrate with Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my experience, taking communion can feel a bit more like a funeral than a birthday. I don't know if you can relate to this, but um, sometimes maybe we feel like it's a really holy thing to do, to like reenact the Last Supper, where the disciples are described as very sorrowful, and the prospect of the suffering that Jesus is about to endure in just a few hours' time, actually, from this night was weighing heavily on his shoulders. But when we take communion, we aren't like those sorrowful disciples. We aren't mourning a death. We're celebrating a victory. We live on the far side of the resurrection. We never have to experience the heavy atmosphere of the task to come. We view the crucifixion through the lens of the resurrection. We see the glory and the victory of the cross. And we celebrate. I love this quote from Spurgeon about what our emotions should be as we think about the cross. To weep over the Lord Jesus as he goes to the cross is to weep over that which is the subject of the highest joy that heaven and earth has ever known. Your tears are scarcely needed there. They are unnatural. But a deeper wisdom will make you brush them all away and chant with joy his victory over death and the grave. Our meal with Jesus, the communion table for us, is more like the breakfast on the beach that Jesus makes after his resurrection with freshly baked bread. I practice saying that so many times. Freshly baked bread. <laughs> and fish. We enjoy communion like those bewildered and joy-filled disciples on the beach, eating bread with Jesus at the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee, the sunrise over the new creation. Okay, so in communion, we remember, we look back, we receive, we partake of Christ, to use Paul's language now. Finally then, the third thing we enter into as we take the Lord's Supper. We await. I'm going to look for a moment at the way the Lord, Lord's Supper calls us to lift our eyes and long for another meal that is to come. In our passage, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What mysterious words? What does he mean here? Well, we looked earlier at how meals, particularly feasting, are one of God's favourite pictures for his heart towards his people, how he longs to relate to us. 
In Exodus 24, when God confirms his covenant with his people, his promise that he would be their God and they would be his people, it's not primarily legal. It's a marriage. It's an act of friendship. So the act which consummates it, which represents what has happened, which draws it all together, what is it? It's a meal. And we read that Moses and the leaders of Israel eat and drink with God. When Jesus eats and drinks with normal people, his disciples, religious leaders with sinners, these people are experiencing in the most tangible way a realisation of Exodus 24. They beheld God and ate and drank. But even these meals that Jesus ate with his people during his years as a man on earth were a picture of one final meal to come in a new creation to celebrate the final marriage between Christ and the bride he died to redeem, us. The paradox of communion is that it should make us full but it should also make us hungry for a day that is coming soon when we will feast with our God face to face. In a second, we're gonna take communion. JP's gonna come up and lead us through it. I've been struck uh, thinking about um, this marriage supper that we are all the bride together. That it's not primarily individual, but it's us as a people. So we can't take communion on our own. We take it as a body. And Paul says that as we partake of Christ, we are united to one another. That as we're joined to Christ vertically, there is a horizontal unity that comes. I love that aspect of communion that Jesus has given us the gift of himself and the gift of a people, a family. As I've been preparing this, I've been struck by how much Psalm 23 speaks of the wonder of the Lord's Supper. The presence we enjoy of Christ now, the hope we have of being with him in eternity. So I'm going to read it and then uh, Hannah is going to come up and JP will come up and lead us in taking communion together. Here's what Psalm 23 says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> 